Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to BAMS Radio. Thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Kerry Clark of BAMAMAG.com. As always, by Drew Armand of ESPN 97.7 The Zone in Huntsville and Thomas Watts of Touchdown in Mobile, Alabama. It's been an eventful week, both on and off the court, for the University of Alabama and its fan nation. Uh, we said goodbye first week, Monday afternoon. The Bird Calhoun, founder of Bams Radio, very mobile service, only service here in Birmingham, and Thomas Loss was able to make it up for that. And uh, Thomas, I tell you what, I've, I've been to my life, but I haven't been to very many that had standing room only. Yeah, that was that was. Um, there were a lot of folks there, and then the the, the reception. Yeah, the, well, I, I was talking after the reception, and uh, let's fit. Two to three hundred people in a room that's supposed to fit, you know, fifty. It was kind of, it was off the wall. But you know, that just tells you what Bird meant to a whole lot of various various groups of people. I mean, uh, what Jeff said in his when he spoke, he spoke to each of the quote unquote tribes, and they all were represented when we uh, said goodbye to Bird. Yep, Bama's radio tribe was well represented. As was, and it really stood out to me, I guess because of their attire, the uh, the motorcycle tribe. Wow, they were there in full force. Uh, yeah, they were. And uh, I, I truly felt sorry for some of those gentlemen because suits, like riding jackets on top of suit jackets on top of, you know, long sleeve shirt ties in that room, which I was getting a little dizzy because they were, it heated up so much. Yeah, I, I had to give them a tip of the cap for that. That was that was intense. And I will give a tip of the cap to the people that uh, ran the reception because that chicken salad was excellent. Uh, but that being said, it was it was good to see some of the folks from the BAMS tent, but it was good to see people from the uh, Jeff Calhoun, as you stated. Blip did a great job uh, on his part of the eulogy, and then Bird's uh, biking buddy, Scott Armstrong, did a great job on his part. Uh, the music was good. Uh, it was a great tribute to a great man, and um, I'm really glad that uh, I was able to be a small part of it. And uh, I was really glad that that Blip took the time to point out the significance of the tribe, and he even thanked us during his eulogy for the tribute show we did last week, which is still available via podcast if anyone missed it. I had several people come up and uh, thank me for doing it, uh, us for doing it, and also had some people saying they couldn't wait to hear the podcast. So you guys can still go to BAMSradio.com and hear the podcast of last week's tribute to Greg the Bird Calhoun. Moving on to other Bama sports, though, uh, the women's and men's basketball teams had very early first-round exits in the NIT. The women fell by one at Tulane. The men fell by 18 at Creighton. And it was not a good night, not a good way to wind up the basketball season. But Drew Armand, uh, 18 and 15, it's still better than many people predicted for Avery Johnson's first year. It is. Uh, it was a disappointing ending. I think the team had maxed itself out and was 
uh, you're really still disappointed about not making the NCAA tournament. They were probably a couple wins short, and the glaring home losses to Mississippi State and Arkansas stand out the most. Uh, you know, but again, uh, not, not many people thought this team would get to postseason play. Uh, there was a lot of strides made. Uh, I think you know they're 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 a few pieces away from uh, being able to return to the NCAA tournament, and I think they have got four good pieces coming in, and Braxton Key and Armand Davis as far as signees, and Nick King and Avery Jr. as uh, transfers, and I think they're going to add two or three more in the late signing period, be it high school players, JUCOs, fifth-year transfers. I think the fifth-year transfer option is really something to watch. I've had a lot of questions about who is Alabama recruiting. Well, that will play itself out because this fifth-year transfer stuff, a lot of it uh, will not start heating up until uh, the, as the NCAA tournament winds down, so it's going to be interesting to watch. But as Avery Johnson said in the postgame at Creighton, uh, we're not through recruiting. Uh, I did read uh, some Alabama fans as, <laughs> as saying that they thought that meant current players were not coming back. I don't necessarily agree with that. I got into a spirited debate on Facebook with someone that said eight, at least eight players had to go, which is absolutely ludicrous, uh, including Riley Norris, who he said he claimed was not a caliber of player that Alabama needed to be elite. Uh, of course, I uh, he, he and of course uh, when I tried to explain to the gentleman that he had an injured finger and he, that's the reason he struggled when he gave me his last ten games of scoring. I said he did a lot more than that though. He hustled. Nobody plays hard harder than Riley. Nobody works harder. It means a lot to him to wear the jersey. You have to have glue players like that in the future. I think our roster will be more talented, but you have to build your program with pillars like Riley Norris. Also, Jimmy Taylor. Is he a great basketball player? No. But right now there's a dearth of big men on Alabama's roster, and they're not exactly you know, plentiful in college basketball. So I think there's only one scholarship player uh, on Alabama's team right now that is currently on the squad that I would like to see move back to his foreign country. That is uh, one that sticks out uh, like a sore thumb, in my opinion. But other than that, I think everyone on the roster did enough to return and can hopefully – they will continue to get better in a full year and off season under Avery Johnson and his coaching staff. Yeah, and they're beating the bushes recruiting now. I've I've seen the list of what's available and what's not available in the junior college ranks. I don't think a four or five player, not star, but the, the power forward or center player is going to come from that ranks. It could very well come from the graduate transfer ranks. Uh, but, you know, I think Alabama still has a chance if they can find a way to get him in school with Fernando Bruno, but he seems to be torn between a number of schools. Well, Bruno Fernando, first of all, I, I think he may end up reclassified as a 2017. I mean, because his academics, there are some uh, big-time questions about them. Alabama is going to continue to recruit him, uh, and I think uh, he and Khalif Young, but we'll see where that goes. I would not be surprised if Alabama – took a, maybe a junior college wing and then a, a, a post player or two. I honestly hope two because uh, the Michael Kessens, to me, I'm just going to go ahead and say it, I don't think he's an SEC caliber basketball player. Uh, we've seen him here for two years. I didn't think he improved very much under Avery Johnson. I can only count one time all year that I thought he asserted himself, and that was down the stretch against Auburn. Uh, he started several games but did not do anything in said games to distinguish himself. I thought Jimmy Taylor had moments. I thought he actually did improve. I thought we saw a definite uh, stark improvement uh, out of Dante Hall. I felt like Brandon Austin did enough uh, to show that he has potential athletically and and can become a good basketball player. Justin Coleman 
had 18 points. Uh, the same gentleman said, well, Justin Coleman's been really inconsistent. I wouldn't even mind if he moved on. You, you can't afford – Alabama right now is not in the position where they can turn over three-quarters of their roster. You have to make do with what you have to continue to develop those people and then bring in some talent uh, to make them better. And I think this coaching staff can do that. I think Justin Coleman is what he is. He needs to protect the basketball more. But I, did, I do feel like that he's shown some uh, ability to score – and distribute. He just needs to become more consistent. You got to understand, he's still just a sophomore, and uh, he'll be a junior next uh, this coming season. And I and I think we've seen enough out of this coaching staff to have confidence in what they can do with this group. And I just really believe that if you get the right pieces in the late signing period to go with what you already have, that you'll have a chance to make the NCAA tournament in his second year, which would be huge for this program. I think it was huge to show the progress of winning 18 games, which tied. Wim Sanderson for the most for an Alabama first-year head basketball coach, especially when you see with uh, John Petty being named the National Alabama uh, High School Player of the Year today, uh, going into his senior year, and you have the seven to eight high high major prospects in the state of Alabama. You can really reap the benefits of that uh, with Avery Johnson, and I think Alabama's put themselves in position to uh, to, to do just that. You and I had the opportunity to see John Petty play in the state championship game for J.O. Johnson just a couple of weeks ago. And the final game of basketball ever played for J.O. Johnson is they're mm-hmm. going to morph into a brand-new school called Mae Jemison, named after the first black female astronaut, Mae Jemison. That school opens next fall. Jack Doss will continue to be the coach, and John Petty will be a senior there. But back to what I was talking about, we got to see John Petty play, Drew. And, you know, sometimes when you go to ride about there, they play very well. And, and I had – I had my hopes up about what he was going to do. I mean, Drew, he was dunking. He was hitting threes. He makes his free throws. He's blocking shots. He shook off getting his own shot blocked. He finds open teammates. Uh, I just I don't really see a weakness in John Petty's game, Drew. Well, the only weakness he has, literally, is getting in the weight room. Uh, he needs to get a little bit stronger. But I've watched John for three years, and live, that was the best basketball game I've ever seen him play. I mean, uh, they gave him 32, but it ended up being changed officially to 34. He shot 11 of 17 from the floor. Uh, he, As you said, Kerry, he hit five threes, a lot of them from NBA range. He had one just ridiculous dunk on a breakaway, a windmill. Yeah, uh, he did. And then the best sequence of the game, to when Johnson asserted his dominance in the third quarter, on one end of the floor he blocked the shot. Then he threw a baseball pass down the, down the length of the floor to a teammate for a layup. And as he told me after the game, everyone says I don't play defense. Well, I wanted to go out there and prove I could. And John has always raised his game at the state tournament and always uh, uh, you know, played at a very high level. If it wasn't for William Lee and being just the spectacular player he was for Dallas County, you're likely going to see John Petty uh, have uh, three straight MVPs, really, at the Final Four, and Johnson have three straight state titles. But he's still setting himself up, in my opinion, to be a top 10 to 15 player in the 2017 class and a McDonald's All-American. Uh, he's special. I think he has even more athletic ability than Josh Langford. Many down there were saying he was better than Josh. I'm not sure about that right now, but I do think he has potential to be better. And the big difference is one is a little bit stronger than the other. But as Coach Dodge told me after the game, we're trying to get him 
where uh, he's bench pressing. You know, he's re- he's he's about 190 pounds right now. We wanted to be up to 205. We want to get his bench press up to about 245 uh, going into his senior year of uh, high school. And they're going to play a very challenging schedule. They're going to be in Springfield, Massachusetts next year. Uh, you know, they're I, they're going to be at the City of Palms tournament. So John's going to be on the national stage. He's going to have everybody coming after him. You know, there's there's talk that Kentucky may lead right now, but I think it's Kentucky or Alabama. Alabama's recruiting him harder than anyone. We'll see where that goes. Uh, but I think uh, Avery Johnson and his staff are, as you said, they just offered another young man today in the 2017 class, a, a power forward from Norcross, Georgia. So they're really working that class hard, and I think they plan on uh, putting together. I'll go ahead and predict it. I've already thought, said they'd, they'd sign a top ten class. It may even be top five nationally uh, this coming November. Yeah, and there's a lot of in-state talent in that class, too. But you're right. I, I think John Petty is going to come down to Kentucky or Alabama, and, and it's a win-win for him. He can go play for Cal, who puts millions of people in the NBA. He can come play for Avery, who's uh, been an NBA coach of the year. He wins either way. You, you like to be able to think that Alabama at least has a shot because of the fact that Avery Johnson will have a full year to recruit him, whereas that wasn't the case with Josh Langford. Well, yeah, I mean, he, the the relationship wasn't there, though. I mean, Bob Simon had a really good relationship with Josh, but he'd been recruited for three years consistently by Michigan State. We all know how special Tom Izzo is. As I was saying on my radio program this morning on Talking Ball, he's a Hall of Famer. He's a true legend in this sport. He's trying to get to his ninth Final Four. Uh, you know, I had a great conversation with Hondo Carpenter of Spartan Nation, and he was intertwining Coach Izzo and Coach Saban and what makes them both so good because they outwork people. You cannot blame Josh Langford uh, for wanting to play for a true legend in Tom Izzo and for a national championship caliber program right now. But Avery Johnson, it would know, be so significant to get someone like John Petty. Uh, as you said, there's Alex Reese in state. There's Garrison Brooks. Uh, there's Jamal Johnson, though. I think Alabama really likes Herb Jones better than Jamal Johnson, though I had a, 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 someone on Twitter trying to tell me Herb Jones couldn't uh, in the SEC that he was conference at a stable recruit. And then I was told by someone, no, in the basketball industry that uh, Herb Jones has to be a pro. So, and I trust Avery John and his staff. So uh, they've got a lot of really good players in the state uh, coming up. Of course, we know Austin Wiley is Auburn, grass ball player, top 20, all who can do steady, he's the runaway, Along like with other great and uh, as you said, there's this is a deep class in development. Class this fall, we're we're just not sure who all is going to be in it. Uh, I like to think they've got a, an even money shot. Uh, I think. I mean, I, from what I'm told, it's far from a lock that he's going to play for his job at Mississippi State uh, as a assistant. him closely and I think they really like him and along with Alex Reese and so it's going to be interesting to see how that all plays out and and again another thing that Avery Johnson's not doing and and in a lot of ways it's probably a wise thing he's not putting all his eggs in one basket uh he's uh from the southeast and around the country and Alabama regardless will have a very good class I mean I but I do think for, for a significant uh for a few more specific what it would mean for an instant kid in the program 
were to sign with the University of Alabama, it would be, I think, the without a doubt, the, the undoubted proof uh, that Alabama's program was going to be back among the top 20 in America within three years. Oh, yeah, most definitely. It would make a statement. Uh, even bigger a statement than a few years ago when they signed Trevor Lacey, who was a great high school player. But John is just so much, so athletic, and John is a, is a program changer. And I'm, I'm not really sure how many years John will be in college. I think it'll be more than two. I think it'll be two. Uh, I, I don't believe in the one-and-done stuff. I just don't. I don't think that a lot of these kids are ready uh, for it. And there's no disrespect to John, but I think overall – you know, I think he would be a two-year guy. Same way with John. They both have athletic style. That the man we were referring to, of course, is more across Georgia, Rashawn Hammonds, who was a uh, Alabama today. Yeah, Dakota bought the back issue last year. Now he's got a foot 
issue. He's going to do a lot going into seniors. And then, one, and then of course, James, uh, who's going to release, he had an injury past high school season, so he's not going to do a whole lot either. But Scarborough, he's going to be around 240. So he's tend to be pretty good physically. Uh, and Blake Barnett has now switched to his old high school number eight. Uh, Robert Foster, as, we, as I dropped a few couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, switching to number one. Uh, Jalen Hurts will have a honor in bowl. He is now number two. So, some guy can come to see himself. Uh, he switched back up to his high school number seven. He has switched to 17. And everyone knows that his season will help him. Or that healthy, healthy. He came back really good from the day injury. John was really never himself uh, last year. The was the speed uh, that was reported by A.com all season, right before spring training. Some 40 times it came out. Uh, apparently, Rob Foster had lost in his speed. No, Uh, 
a lot of for the squad. Uh, game store again, right out. You know, they went in on Thursday, and, and then they came in and had a Clark is hitting 241 as a team in baseball. That's 
Nope. I'll probably guess 221. But it is, and they got unacceptable. It is. And if they get up this week, and the have, I hope they get one out of three. Well, I mean, I hope they get two out of three, but one out of three would be, well, I guess, and with Patrick Murphy. Yeah, Pat Murphy had a injury. Very good player. She's probably going to miss at least a month. But with Patrick Murphy, we've seen, you know, they didn't have Peyton Grantham last year. He figured it out. They're going to figure it out. They're going to get to postseason play. His teams always seem to play their best off ball at the end. I'm still honestly expecting Osorio to come out of it. Uh, Little John's been really good. And then for them to get back to Oklahoma City, I understand how good Florida is now. Auburn did a game from them. It's a marathon, not a sprint. But with the there's so much talent. It's so good. I think they're going to figure it out. With Coach Asphalt, disrespect, I don't give Norse like credit. The Pitt done the job. I mean, I know they didn't perform great. Really, or defensively on that. They still, you know, have a chance to win the game. Most of this season, we all made one point three or one or two. Uh, the pitchers have done their job. If Gaspar's first season, I thought he hit pretty good and he was in charge of the hitters. He's earned his paycheck. The other guy, the guy's a great player. I mean, man, that's a good coach. And I think, uh, obviously, we've seen with Gaspar as the head coach, uh, Andy Phillips a lot to do that. And with that, and I think overall, that the administration has made the investment in sport to sweep in that way. I'll be now the bottom of the league. I think they'll go out and great staff. Will they get Tim Corbin? I very seriously doubt it. would be the biggest shot off the bat ever. The world because of an exception, every Johnson and best in the country. But it's Vanderbilt. But there's so many great coaches out there. You can find one. I mean, on its feet, a great guy. But overall, that just needs to be used in baseball. And it's kind of scaring some of those likely program. It's not as high-profile, but the bottom line is. Uh, with the money now with the SEC Network and baseball starting going to start being on television a lot more. Alabama, you know, that that's the reason they built this ballpark. And uh, they wanted to step it up. They have. And, 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 you know, and in some ways, I know I've said in the past, Mitch Gaspar could, should have been gone two to three years ago. I still believe that. But also, I can also see why they decided to uh, let him uh, coach uh, in this new stadium when once they decided to build it. Because, again, last year was so difficult with all the travel. He's been a good soldier. They're going to try to reward him and give him one more chance. But right now, and maybe they'll turn it around, but it just doesn't look good. No, and uh, even though it's been a week and a half, the uh, top five-ranked gymnastics team got beat pretty bad down in Baton Rouge, but they've had time to lick those wounds and rebound, and they'll be going for a second straight SEC championship uh, this weekend uh, out in Little Rock. Uh, so, they uh, continue to try to set themselves up for another uh, And I want to tell you too. Thomas has been working on it feverishly. It's one wizard. Because of much madness and because everyone is so 
fighting now just to consume with the turn, even the fourth message as you, as you said, Gary. Uh, me and the women uh, out in the NIE. Uh, we still got a, lot of, uh, we got a lot of good recorded stuff that we wanted to play for our listeners that we, of course, would have done some of it last week. But last week was needed to be totally dedicated uh, to the uh, gentleman. Uh, the only reason we're all here, and that's Greg uh, Bamford Calhoun. I wasn't able to be at the funeral. It was during my Monday radio program, but uh, I was there in spirit, and I've, I've conversed with his wife on Facebook, and I just I feel for the family and uh, for what they've gone through. I can't imagine how heartbreaking it's got to be. But Bird was a selfless person. He was a great, great person. It was an honor. It was my first shot. I was honored on uh, the tribute show last week. Great so many people. basketball in the state of Alabama, we seem to be producing 
as many athletes in, in this year, uh, you know, one of the top players in the states going to Michigan State. Yep. It seems like we're having trouble. You know, you have a Haas up in, at Purdue. Purdue, yep. And what what do you think the problem is of keeping these kids in state? Well, I think you're, they're involved in a lot of AAU stuff now. AAU people are, are, are different because you've got to please the coach and the eight, uh, high school coach and the eight, AAU coach. I was disappointed that the Haas kid didn't certainly didn't go to Alabama. There's some I don't know exactly what happened there. I liked him as a player a great deal, but uh, you know you just got to get back, got to get back to to you know have, have your staff organized and being able to recruit in the state. I, I don't know that. You know I don't know we've lost that many. I think next season, not this year. Well, next season when these juniors become seniors, about seven prospects in the state. That'll be interesting to see. But, you know, one of the problems that we're having is that these kids that are that are playing in the AAU, they're all split up. Uh, one kid's playing at Huntsville, one kid's playing in Nashville, and one kid's playing in Birmingham, one kid's playing in, in Montgomery. And I think, that hurt, I think that hurts. I think that, you know, if, if you get two kids on the same team together and they spend all summer together, they get to know each other a little bit better, you might get two of them. Uh, I just think that you know you gotta you gotta you gotta work hard and recruit and get the high school coaches to feel like that if their their kid comes with you, that he's gonna get better. I think the one thing that we were able to do now, I didn't have a lot. I did not have a lot of uh, AAU coaches to deal with. We 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 didn't deal with many of them. Uh, but I think I think the state of Alabama would be better if these kids would play on the same team. The problem that you're having is that Nike, Under Armour, you know, they give them things. They, they give them shoes. They give them different, you know, they give them uniforms. They give them this. They give them that. And sometimes, being kids the way kids are, you know, they'll go to the place that's going to give them the most. And so this, this sort of splits them up. So probably we worked hard recruiting we're probably even harder this this day and time because because you've got you know the AAU coach coaching situation if these guys would stay in the state and play AAU basketball and and I think I think would be a lot better the other thing too is I think that when we were there that the coaches felt like that 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 they were part of us that you know kids that we got got better and I'm sure they'll get better at Alabama and Auburn. These two coaches haven't been there long enough to really make an adjustment on that. But I, I, I just think there's got to be a tie between the high school coaches uh, and the coaches at Alabama and Auburn and even UAB. UAB's stepped in and got a couple of guys that, that uh, maybe Alabama and Auburn wasn't sure about. But as, well, far, as far as, you know, I know the kid went to Michigan State from the Pinellas Deck of Woods. And I... And I I don't know what happened there, but uh, in order to get these basketball programs back like everybody thinks they should be, or as they say, back like they were when in the 80s when we had good teams and Sunday and them did too and Bartow did too, you know, you've got, you've got to organize your recruiting. You've got, to, you've got to get to know the coaches as best you possibly can. The other factor, too, that hurts a little bit is, you know, so many of these these kids now, not so many, but some of them are one and done. So it makes the league maybe not quite as good when they do get a player. 
and it, 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 it's, it's a difficult deal. Well, Coach, you know, going into the NCAA, NCAA tournament, do you have any uh, special favorites that you watched through the, uh, this year? And hit, no, know? not really. It's a lot of parity. It's a lot of parity. College basketball, everybody's pretty good. I, you know, we always talk about it every year that it's parity, but it's really not. This year, I think it really is. You know, some like Michigan State, some like Virginia. Um, I like Kansas a great deal. I probably, if I had to pick somebody, I'm not a big picker on this stuff, but, you know, I might pick Michigan State, North Carolina's. If they continue to defend the way they've been defending here lately, they're, they're you know, they're a prospect to win. So I think it's really, I think it's good. I, you know, I think parity makes it good. And, and um, I, I think a disappointing thing is that, that the basketball teams in the SEC only got three teams in one of those course in Vanderbilt lost last night and so the 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 coaches in the state excuse me in the conference you just got to work your fans off recruiting I don't I don't think it's fair for me to get on here and, and, and compare what we did recruiting to what the other coaches had to do because I didn't I, I had I had unlimited contact it wasn't illegal for us to visit the kids men but I did it uh, after I'd worked for two other coaches I made up my mind when I became the head coach. I was going to work just like I was still assistant. And so, you know, the recruiting is a little bit more difficult now because of AEU and that kind of thing. So, um, the conference, I'm saying all that because I think everybody's disappointed that the conference has, you know, gotten ahead and gotten more than than three teams in there. And they're hiring Mike. Trangizi, who used to be a commissioner, to help them try to get the schedules better. Here's what has to happen: you've got to play, you've got to play some quality teams in your non-conference schedule, but you've got to win some of those. You know, you can play them, but you got to win a few of them. Playing them helps you, but you got to win some of them. Well, well, coach, you know, you you look at the uh, um, when you watch games at night. Who do, who, do you have a favorite coach you like to watch? I mean, just that makes you say, "Hey, no, he's I know just a good coach." The, I know all the coaches. I have teams. You know, I, I, I'm watching George and Belmont now because I, I, you know, took Phil Pearson, who, who's assistant at Georgia, played for me, so I enjoy watching that. And I know Rick Bird real well at Belmont, and they do a great job with their team. So, I, you know, I, I like, I like, I like to watch coaches. Uh, you know, I don't. There's some coaches I don't know all of them. I was with, I was yesterday I was with Denny Crum, uh, from Louisville and Dale Brown, several guys like that at, at a sort of a thing about the Final Four. So, but you know I don't watch. I don't like I used to. I just watch a basketball game regardless. I don't do that anymore. Um, I, I watch a game where I, I I'm interested in the coaches. Maybe maybe a maybe a player, but basically the coaches and maybe their team to see, you know, where they're going to get in the SEC. I'm a big, big SEC man, which I should be. And um, so that, that's kind of what I do. I'm, I'm interested in in this NIT now because it's a situation where guys don't get in NCAA tournament. It's hard to get your team ready to play in the NIT. They're all disappointed. They're all playing great, those kinds of things. And it's, it's not as easy as, as you might think it is to get them ready to play. Is my point. Well, it looked like the case last night at Alabama. 
the way they played. They, in, in yeah, they didn't, they didn't play real well. Yeah, I, I don't know what happened. I, I try to refrain from coaching somebody else's team. I had a hard, hard enough time coaching mine. But, but I, you know, I, I, they weren't act like, didn't act like they were as excited about playing as they should have been. I think Avery, I think Avery made that statement, and they didn't, they weren't very good on either end of the court, defensively or offensively. And Bossahan didn't play quite as well, and the rest of them didn't contribute either. So I don't know what the situation was. It was a very quick turnaround after after the after the SEC tournament when they all everything unfolds. You you got to get on an airplane on Monday and fly out and play Creighton on Tuesday. You don't even have hard to have, have time to take a look at them. Um, so. I, I maybe they weren't ready. I don't know whether they were or not. They did. They didn't act like they were ready. But that's not any. That's not anything on the coaches. You just have to, you know, take whatever whatever they give you uh, as far as where you travel to and play. Well, coach, um, I'm curious um, on getting teams fired up to play in the month of March. There's uh, an old adage, and I've been around a few teams where there's. Um, it, certainly games mean a lot more in the month of March, but there's a certain amount of teams that just, frankly, have had enough. Was there any type of philosophy you used to really gear up your teams in the March game? Yeah, we, uh, yeah, we did. We, you know, we pointed, yeah, your, your, your team's going in. There are three things about your team. You have a non-conference schedule, you have a conference schedule, and then you have the tournament. Uh, the tournament is the automatic bid. You know, if people can say they don't like this, they don't like that, but it doesn't make any difference. The tournament is the automatic bid. And so, we, you know, we tried to be good in all phases, but we really tried to get ourselves ready for the tournament uh, because the tournament, uh, we all got the automatic bid if we won it. We got to the finals in my 12 years. We got there nine times. But my point is we had good players, so I want anything tricky about me. You know, the only thing that you do in tournament play if you're if you're you know in, in the SEC and you played these teams before and you've beaten these teams, then you have to beat the teams you're supposed to beat. In other words, if you've beaten a team twice, it's not real easy sometimes for your kids to think it's, it's going to be a hard game. And so you got you got to beat the teams you've beaten. You got to beat the basketball teams that that you've already beaten. That's you know, that's not understood by people. That's a mental part of that game right there. Mm-hmm. And then you've got to beat somebody maybe that's as good or better than you are and you have a good night beat them. So I think the, the, the biggest thing for us was that we got ready for the tournament. We pointed to the tournament. And, um, you know, we tried to emphasize how important it was because that was the automatic bid. And we, you know, we were... We were successful in the tournament, and we were successful because we had very good players, but they beat the teams that we supposed, they were supposed to beat. You know, everybody talks about the, the championship game being on Sunday afternoon. The championship game's not Sunday afternoon. The championship game's the night you play. Whenever you play, that's the championship game for you, or it's open. And it, you don't you don't look two or three days down the, down the road. You play them one at a time and realize you're happy. Try to get your kids convinced that the championship game is the day that you play, and we had some success in that. You know, we weren't. I don't get on radio shows and say we were great, great, great. We were good, I guess, but we, you know, we we made some mistakes too. And 
we didn't play as hard as we should have a lot of times, and if it, we didn't, then <laughs> I tried to get their attention. <laughs> <laughs> how would you get their so, attention, Coach? Yeah, you know how I got their attention. I worked them hard. <laughs> <laughs> and we come in, we play at Auburn, and don't play the way we should. You're not allowed to do that. Now I'd bring them on practice. So well, I expect them to play hard. Did we play hard all the time? No, we didn't. We play, you know, we didn't play hard all the time, and you know, I, I think we'd be ready to play, and sometimes we weren't as ready. But you know, that that's it's handling kids and handling their parents and all those kinds of things is, a, you know, I know the coaches make a lot of a lot of money, and but I think I think I think Alabama and Auburn, UAB's already had a good, good year, but I think Alabama and Auburn can improve their programs, and I think they will. I think I think the interesting thing for me uh, as just a bystander now. Uh, is to look and see next season with about the old six, seven prospects in the state, you know, where those six or seven kids go. Will we, you know, where they, you know, two or three of them go one place, two or three of the other in the state, that'd be, that'd be fine. So we just have, to, just have to wait and see. I just don't like, I don't like the AAU situation very much right now. I don't like it all split up. So. But that's Coach. not my job anymore. Hey, you can do what you want. Hey, you coaches hear this, they'll I wonder if they'll like it or dislike it. Of course, don't really care. But uh, you know, the AAU people uh, got to. You know, kids don't work on their game as much in the mo- anymore. They they play all the time. They don't work on things that they need to work on. Uh, you know, AAU stuff is playing all the time, which is good. You got to play to get better. But you've also got to play in the right, play the right way. You got to learn how to feed the post. You got to, you know, you got to learn how to defend those kinds of things. Well, coach, uh, yeah. also what happened late season and during the regular season, there was as many as six teams potentially that were going to be in the field in the NCAA tournament, and we end up with three. The late season, late season swoon. By a number of teams, including yeah, I never did think I never I, I never did think we'd have six. I never thought that. I thought we'd have four, but I didn't think we'd have six. And I think South Carolina should have gotten me. That's where I was going, Coach. Uh, yeah. uh, I, I don't. I think they. I think they could have. I know they're not conference schedule wasn't good, but I, I think they could have gotten me. And, and but again, I was wrong because I thought Vanderbilt could have, should have gotten me, and they did, and they played poorly. So you know, I. I'm wrong as many times or more than I'm right. I thought we would get four teams in. We didn't. Um, Were so you surprised that LSU what, turned down the NIT? Well, LSU uh, had some problems. They they struggled. They just struggled on the defensive end of the floor all year. Uh, I don't know if Ben Simmons being on the team caused some problems or not as far as the, to playing together. I, I didn't think they played real hard, Johnny. Johnny's a good guy, but I didn't think they played real hard. And so uh, I, I probably think that that's – with Horns to be hurt, one of their best players, them not playing up snuff in, in the semifinals of the SEC tournament and things kind of going south for them, they're probably better off. They're, they're probably better off not playing any. I thought for a while that was a mistake, but Ben Simmons is an unusually good player – Physically, uh, he's got some work to do mentally. You know, any 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 time y'all do anything, 
all football guys, anytime you play football, if you aren't, you know, the, the mental part of the game, you know, tells you how you're going to play, how you're going to play physically. If you're mentally ready to play, then you've got a lot better chance. And sometimes, sometimes these kids are not mentally ready to play. They're just there. And I think that's, that's where you got to get their attention. You got to get them mentally ready to play as best you can. You know, you, you do that. It, it, it's not totally the coach's responsibility. It's partly the coach's responsibility. It's partly the kid's responsibility. So the better kids you can get, the better people you can get, the, the smarter people you can get, the better chance you for these guys to understand, you know, what you're trying to do with them. The thing that kids don't understand, and I, I tried to, because as you know, I was pretty tough on them, but the, the, the more the criticism, the more the interest. They don't understand that. You know, the more you work on the more you the more you get on their fannies, the more you think they play. They think it's just the opposite. As long as players, whether you're in high school or whether you're in college or what you're doing, as long as the kids feel like that you care about them as people, then you've got a chance to be successful. If they, if, if they think you're using them and you don't care about them as people, I'm talking about the coach, then you've got problems. You've got problems. So... You try to you try to get them to under, and I'm not sure I did that all the time. But when I first started, um, you know, I was intent on winning, and not that not that we abused them, we didn't do that. But you know, I, I think once they they were convinced that all the hard work that we put in, uh, because it was because we felt like they could play, if we you know, I think that the best thing that, that happens to you as a coach, and it's happened to me a lot, is that they. They care a lot about you after they play for you. Yeah, they're mad. They're mad because that you ran extra sprints. They're mad because not mad, but they're they they don't like it because you you jumped their fanny. There are a lot of things that you know they didn't like, but once they get through with you and they come back, then they appreciate you. And to me, that that you know that's I had a, one of our kids, a Hollywood Robinson, who played two years for me and one year for the other coach and left, you know, was always mad at because I wouldn't make cheat every time he got it. Um, you know, came to tip-off club last year and said a lot of nice things about me. And I'm, I'm just using that as an example. But my point is, and I've had others, you know, he, 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 if if I'd have got, when he was playing, if I'd have gotten shot, everybody would want credit. <laughs> they'd all said they they shot. So, now, you, you didn't play the good guy, bad guy deal? I mean... Uh, do what? Do you didn't have a good guy, bad guy coach going? No, I just I was bad guy all the time. So I just, you know, I just think that I think that when they can look back on it and appreciate it, it's kind of like you and I are. Or I was with my with our parents. We think they're old fogies until we have our own family, and yeah. then we decide yeah. they weren't quite as old fogies as we thought they were. It's the same. It's the same thing. Coach, I, I finally wanted to close out. Uh, coming up next, we're going to talk with Coach Bobby Bowden, and I don't know if you read this, but Coach Bowden shot a hole-in-one earlier this week. And we hope you enjoyed that conversation. Uh, it was my colleagues Steve Moulton and Wes Neighbors on the drive with uh, former Alabama head basketball coach Wimp Sanderson. Some interesting insight, as always, by Coach Sanderson, who spent 32 years at Alabama, 
20 as an assistant, and then, of course, 12 as the head basketball coach ending in 1992. And just uh, always uh, great uh, thoughts and uh, just workings he gives you from what you go through as a coach. And I thought some really telling comments and some positive things to say about Avery Johnson. And, of course, one of my all-time favorites, the – the what he said about James Hollywood Robinson. I have his jersey actually hanging on my wall framed. But uh, James Robinson, one of the greats at the University of Alabama and was very a very talented player who he did butt heads with Wimp Sanderson. Uh, but as Wimp was saying, when you uh, basically when they, when, you, when they realize after they leave that you uh, put them in the best position to be successful, that's why you have a great program. And hopefully Avery Johnson can return Alabama to that level, Thomas Watts. Oh, certainly. Uh, I, I uh, we we've said on both uh, this show and when you appeared on Two Deep Zone, bring basketball back. You know, <laughs> what is, it's just a deal of Donald Trump has a make Alabama basketball great again. Except, yeah. except don't use the hats. <laughs> well, and the hat, the hat the hat can go away. <laughs> if he can get the program back to where I think he, the level he can, then I think it'll lead to a new basketball arena, which. As I said on Twitter just the other day, I think it could be another golden era of uh, college basketball for the Crimson Tide. The last golden era ending after Coach Sanderson left in 1992. Uh, a five-year window under Mark Godfrey, but really still a lot of inconsistency in the program despite an Elite Eight run in 2004. I think what Alabama needs, they need a decade of stability and uh, consistent excellence, and hopefully – uh, Avery Johnson uh, can do that. Do we have Kerry back with us? Yeah, yeah. Well, I just had to uh, reattach the USB. It magically got my sound back. The, the wizard but, strikes again. The wizard of what? The wizard of what? <laughs> my man. And not the one that's the heart of LA. But, uh, but, but like as we said, Kerry, uh, just some, some uh, excellent insight from Wim Sanderson. Oh, yeah. He's always great. He's like it is. I Got a chance about a week and a half ago to hear him and Sonny Smith speak together, and uh, the jokes themselves were worth the price of admission. <laughs> uh, and you know the food was pretty good too. But uh, it, it was a uh, at the Birmingham Tip Off Club, which meets downtown. And they were hilarious, uh, railed on each other, uh, telling recruiting stories. And, you know, each one kind of gave his uh, two cents on what their former programs were looking like. Uh, I'm still. I don't know if uh, 40 losses in two years will cut the mustard, but I'm I'm still kind of waiting on Memphis to call Bruce Pearl. Well, the problem with that, Kerry, is again, I know they there's several people that love him in the state of Tennessee, but you're having to sell your your, your administration on a guy right now that's still rebuilding Auburn's program, and they haven't seen the for it hasn't come to fruition yet. They're not winning, and and as of right now, I don't correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think Pastner has been dismissed yet. Uh, at Memphis, they got to the conference championship game. I don't know if that's enough to save him. Uh, they did not get the automatic bid and uh, did not make the NIT. Uh, we'll see if, if they make the change. Uh, but uh, I, when, I think they also, uh, you know, owe him an astronomical buyout. But with the FedEx people, I, that's probably still a drop in the bucket for Memphis. Uh, but it'll be very interesting to see what happens with that job. Also, Kevin Stallings. Uh, hearing today that he may have been in contact with the University of St. Louis uh, regarding their coaching position because he may have run his course at Vanderbilt following that pathetic debacle of a performance in the second half against uh, Wichita State, which 
it doesn't really count in people's brackets. It was my only loss in the first four. I really thought once they were fortunate enough to get in, they might step it up and play well, but they played like a bunch of zombies in the second half. And Coach Stallings has had 17 good years there. It slipped in the last four or so. Uh, and so he may be, he may need to move on somewhere else. I still think he's a quality basketball coach. But as Chris Lowe said on my radio program this morning, uh, Vanderbilt's a top five job in the SEC, and really that their their fans expect you know excellence. And and the last few years have not been as good under Coach Stallings. Still a quality coach, but sometimes you just need a change uh, to get the energy back going. It's going to be interesting to see what Vanderbilt uh, ultimately decides to do. Yeah, and you know, another interesting opening, uh, I guess you'd call it the mid-major The Jacksonville got rid of uh, James Green, who was an assistant on the women's mm-hmm. tennis back in the day. But uh, I, I can tell you one name for, for them to uh, hire. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there, Kerry, but there's one it's guy they should Harrison, hire. I agree with you. Well, he's, he, he, if you're going to go college assistant, he would be a really solid hire, but there's someone else. Uh, who is I know very well, who's a native of the city of Aniston, and I believe he attended the university. Uh, he's never coached on the college level, but he sure as heck has coached enough kids that have, and I don't think they'll go in the direction. It would be thinking outside of the box, but he's basically the mayor of Aniston where he grew up near there, near in that, in that neck of the woods, and that's Jack Doss. But I don't know. Alabama A&M did not go that route. I doubt uh, Jacksonville State would, but I, if if they didn't go the Jack Doss route, I agree, Kerry. I, you know, Philip has been in the running for some jobs, and I think this Chattanooga job, Chattanooga's right now screwing my bracket up. I I had them upset in Indiana; they're getting housed right now. But I, uh, I it, that Chattanooga, if I remember correctly, Philip Pearson was on the short list, and uh, I think Philip. I've actually, I'm I'm actually surprised he hasn't got a job yet because I think he's done a a quality job as an assistant. He did a good job at Alabama, especially as a recruiter, and he's been able to get out from under the Mark Godfrey shadow and prove to be a, a valuable aide to Mark Fox. And as you heard in that interview, Wim Sanderson thinks quite a bit of Philip Pearson. Oh, sure. And, uh, you know, the thing about Jack is he's, I think, 69 years yeah, old. Yeah, the, the age issue is also going to come into play there. Philip is a young guy with a lot of energy. I don't think it's a matter of not hiring a high school guy because Bill Clark was a high school guy when they hired him at Jacksonville. And uh, they promoted a well, no, not necessarily. Now remember that he no, he came from South Alabama. He did yeah, coordinator. Joe. You're right. You're right. I forgot he'd been a coordinator for Joey. Right. But he had a lot. Of, he had a lot of years in high school before he got there. Yeah, no, he was hired from the high school ranks by Joey Jones to come. Up. Yes. But I, I just, and I also wonder. Uh, I don't want this to happen, but I know he was an assistant there. I wonder if Antoine Petway has interest in that job. Uh, perhaps, but I don't think Antoine is. Has proven himself on a on a bench level as much as Philip Pearson. Philip Pearson has been a quality assistant on the SEC level for over a decade. Has been has helped two programs in Alabama and Georgia become very very solid. And I just think overall, if you were going to hire an assistant with ties to the state of Alabama, if you're not going after a standing head coach somewhere, then I think absolutely uh, that I would try to hire. Uh, that uh, Philip Pearson. Now, uh, I think Lenny Acuff would be a great hire by Jacksonville State, but I'll, I'll, I'll preface this. I don't think he would take the job. He's got UAH playing at such a high level. I was at the regional all three of their games. It was some of the best basketball I've seen all year. He's got high-caliber players, some of them that could play mid-major Division One. And the biggest thing is 
He's got a young daughter at Madison Academy, and he has a son in Will Card. I mean Will Acuff, who will be a freshman baseball player at UAH, and I think he's going to want to see him play. So I would be, you know, shocked if uh, if he took that job. But Philip Pearson would be a really good fit. I agree with you, Kerry, and I think he's earned it, and I think he would take the job because there's another coach in this tournament who used that as his first head coaching job and is turned into one of the rising stars in the coaching profession, and I think you know who I'm speaking of. I believe you're speaking of Mark Turgeon. Yes, Mark Turgeon, who did a great job turning the program around and went on to Wichita State and uh, went from there to Texas A&M and is now at Maryland and has fallen in the footsteps of a Hall of Famer and Gary Williams. And I think Mark Turgeon reminds me a lot with his career arc of Philip Pearson and Philip Pearson is a, was a great was a walk on at Alabama and a great member of the program and uh, as a player and coach and should he have success uh, should Avery Johnson move on in in several seasons Philip Pearson would be on the short list to, to come to Tuscaloosa yeah if he goes to Jacksonville or wherever and proves himself yeah, head coach I think, that's, I think yeah, that's exactly well. right he's, he's still a young age pretty I think yeah, Philip I mean, is a young forties. I mean, uh, two guys that will definitely be on that list should they continue to win and move their way up ladders is Steve Prome and uh, and uh, Philip Pearson. Prome already at a major job, uh, but I'm just saying he did a nice job in his first year at Iowa State. He has obvious ties to Alabama, and Philip Pearson does too. Though I would say I think Philip Pearson would have tons of support should he work his way up to a mid-major job and have success because of what you just heard from an icon like Wimp Sanderson. And another icon who I won't name his name right now, but he's a good friend of this show. He was actually a member of a small group of basketball supporters that wanted Alabama to hire T.R. Dunn. And it it wasn't aware they could get Avery Johnson. And uh, he wanted them to hire T.R. Dunn and make Philip the associate head coach and groom Philip. So you're right. Philip would have a lot of support if he goes to somewhere like a Jacksonville uh, and, and, and and win some some titles there. It's 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 not out of the realm of possibility. It's way down the road, but it's not out of the realm of possibility. Drew, I had one more quick basketball question for you before we go to our next interview. Uh, we all know that Dazon Ingram's a starting point guard next year for University of Alabama. Uh, he's well on his way to recovery, about ninety percent there right now. The question I have, and this is just wanting your opinion. You don't have to state this as fact. His backup next year, his primary backup, the first point guard off the bench, would that be uh, Justin Coleman or would that possibly be A.J. Jr.? You know, my gut tells me A.J. Jr. if he takes care of the basketball. And I know he's nine, but I think it would allow J- Justin Coleman to play off the ball a little bit and uh, and be more of a shooter. Maybe his percentages would increase. But I do think uh, Justin has proven enough with his shot uh, that then uh, his and he had 18 the other night and with his playmaking ability at times the five assists against Ole Miss that he can pat that he can distribute the basketball I think he learned a lot under Avery I think uh, asking him to transfer would be ludicrous I think he can be a quality member of the program I think he can give you possibilities to play two point guards at once and even play Dazon Ingram off the ball and trust me Dazon Ingram is a freak he if he, worked, if, if he if he can Improving the offseason, carry with his three-point shot, which was his really only weakness as a player, I thought, at Theodore. He will, he could be an All-SEC, All-American type player in a first-round draft pick. And I mean, He could if he's getting better. So, you know, it, it, would, it would just give you a lot of versatility, and I think both of them will play. 
Uh, but if you had to ask me, I would say Avery Johnson Jr. simply because of the synergy between father and son, point guard. But Justin Coleman is going to continue to work hard, hopefully. And uh, hopefully he was a little up and down, of course, but that last game will give him some confidence and uh, he'll continue to work and know he can play on this level. And he just needs to continue to listen to Avery and, and do what he needs him to do. And uh, we'll see. And, then, and, and of course, Shannon Hale. They need Shannon Hale to get completely healthy. And then to hopefully have a, a career improvement uh, like uh, – I'm not going to go ahead and say all the way like Red and Obasahan, but somewhere along those lines to finally step up as a leader and, and be consistent and, and be a double-digit scorer and be a consistent starter uh, as a senior. As you pointed out last hour, they'll be ready to get some contributions from Nick King at the three and the four. And then, of course, I think that Braxton Key and Armand Davis both need to be ready to step into the rotation quickly. Yeah, they both need to be ready. Both will give us, give Alabama athleticism and scoring. Uh, and, and Braxton Key is an all-around kind of guy. He's, he's in the 40s this year percentage-wise from the three-point line, over 60% overall at Oak Hill. Struggling a little bit from the free throw line, shooting in the mid-60s, but uh, hopefully that will be rectified uh, when he gets uh, there under Avery Johnson. He's 6'7", very versatile. And then Armand Davis, explosive, looks like he's getting better as a shooter and uh, really has had a really uh, excellent sophomore year uh, for uh, the College of Southern Idaho. So very anxious to see him. And I just think if you add the right two to three pieces in the in the uh, late signing period, it's going to be an exciting time. And I can't wait to see the team on the practice court and then, of course, uh, out on the floor playing games. But we'll see where that goes. Well, now I think we need to switch gears. Uh, to some football to end the show. And uh, we've got a few interviews for everyone to listen to. And the first one I wanted to go to was, uh, of course, uh, he's been a heavy contributor to this show uh, lately, and he will continue to be now uh, in in the uh, the form of the BAMS radio is going to – is going to continue in uh, now that Bird, you know, we we is, is uh, we we were going to continue to kind of take past the torch that Bird gave us and continue to build this show. We want this uh, particular gentleman to be a core part of it. Uh, you could even consider him a de facto um, triumvirate uh, or a third co-host, uh, and uh, we, we, he's going to be heavily uh, involved from this point forward, especially during spring practice and into fall camp almost on a weekly basis because he's so connected to the program. But I had an excellent conversation earlier uh, this week, and I, I figured the listeners would want to hear his insight. He's probably one of the most popular guests we've ever had on BAMS Radio, and now that he's going to become a pillar of it, uh, we wanted you to hear the latest from William Redfish Barger. William, how are you doing this afternoon? Well, Drew, I tell you what, aside from the beautiful spring day, I kind of feel like a jilted bride that's been left at the altar. You know, uh, <laughs> Coach Savas gave us a little bit of an appetizer last Friday with spring practice and <laughs> jerked the rug out from under us. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, some impressive-looking guys on the uh, on the field, William. And I know you and I were both kind of uh, monitoring what uh, Matt Zenitz reported because one of the things that's fascinating about pro days is the young guys get a chance to work out and – as well and and you know and max out and run the 40 and you kind of see the progress they're making some eye-popping numbers put up by uh and the the, the true freshman all-american last year he'll be going into his sophomore season deron Payne. yeah i mean that's uh when you put it into perspective Drew, it's really kind of scary and <laughs> by no means am i trying to say that he's on their same level right now you're talking about 
you know, two guys in Sean Robinson and Karen Reed that are, you know, projected to go, you know, within the top 20 picks of the first round. But, you know, on paper, when you discuss measurables, I mean, he is, uh, you know, stronger and faster than both of them right now. You know, when you look at the 500-pound bench press, 600-pound squat, and the 49340, I mean, that's, uh, you know, you start using the, the label freak when you see that kind of stuff posted. And we all know how what Bill Smith used to say about him when he coached him at Shades Valley, former Alabama punter in the late '80s, and uh, he always said he was the strongest kid he ever coached. And uh, and we and, and what we're starting to see is what we saw early in his high school career before he got a little heavy, but he was destroying people early in his high school days, and he did that. And when he once he got in shape at Alabama last year and reshaped his body. He's basically been – I know he only played situationally last year, William, but he really impressed a lot of people as a true freshman. Uh, they couldn't move him. And now that he'll take on a bigger role on the defensive line, the uh, it's got to be exciting. And also, uh, if Josh Frazier can get into shape, I know you were very high on him when he was a freshman. He kind of fell back last year because he was buried on the depth chart. But a golden opportunity uh, for the for the junior from Springdale, Arkansas. Yeah, it really is, and I think another guy's name that you have to throw into the mix, especially after seeing what what his weight room numbers were that were posted. I think now is OJ Smith. Um, yes, you know, he posted a, a six hundred pound squat, and, you know, a pretty impressive bench press as well. But you know, Frazier kind of fell prey, and this, you see this happen to a lot of players. He kind of fell prey to the proverbial sophomore slump last year. Um, has, has developed a a little bit of a weight issue and, and, you know, it's gotten to the point where they, you know, the coaching staff had his parents come in for a face-to-face meeting during bowl preparation to kind of, you know, ask for their assistance when he's away from the, away from Tuscaloosa, if they would, you know, kind of join the, join the, you know, the helping of, of, you know, kind of making him watch what he puts in his mouth. But if he can, you know, get that under control and and reach his full potential, I, I think he is a, another guy along the lines of Deron Payne that, that can be more than just a zero technique nose guard. He's got some athleticism and some you know, some short term, you know, quickness. Um got a got a very good, you know, swim move for a bigger body guy inside. So, you know, there's some guys there, you know, Josh Frazier, O. J. Smith, um, Kendall Jones when he gets here this summer, you know, we're we're still waiting to see what's going to happen with Raekwon Davis's academic situation mm-hmm. if he can qualify. But, you know, if they can shore up that nose guard position and, you know, allow some flexibility with what they can do and then play Deron Payne in some different spots, it'll make that defensive line uh, that much more lethal for 2016. And it's interesting that you brought up O.J. Smith. Uh, he, he will be a redshirt freshman this next year. Or, or, or excuse me, a redshirt sophomore, uh, I do believe. But... Uh, he he had shoulder issues when he came in, correct? Yeah, but from looking at his, you know, bench press and, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's kind of hard to squat six hundred pounds bad yeah. shoulders. So, I so think he's healthy uh, now, in other words. Huh. Yeah, I think those issues, at least for the time being, are in the rearview mirror for him. Yeah. And uh, you know, I think you know, going back to you know what you were talking about with Deron Payne, and, and I really felt like he. Uh, you know, got snubbed with with some you know freshman honors. I really felt like he deserved uh, freshman All American consideration. When you look at the role that he played in the Georgia victory and the LSU victory, um, you know he, he single handedly was responsible. Um, if you remember the the drive that Georgia had, where they got down there inside the 
20 yard line. I think they're around the 12 or the mm-hmm. 13. And, uh, you know, they, they were getting holding penalties called on them because they couldn't even double team him <laughs> and slow him down and turned, you know, a, 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 what was looking like a potential touchdown drive, um, you know, into a field goal attempt. And, and, you know, a lot of times people that, you know, don't pay attention to the trenches, you know, don't see that kind of stuff. But it was a pivotal point in that ball game, and I think really shifted the momentum to Alabama's direction. And then I know you have uh, you speak to people close to the team, including players on the team, uh, quite a bit, and you get excellent insight. Uh, many people have asked, uh, with Reggie Ragland graduating and moving on, Jaron Reed, uh, who was also a leader on the football team, uh, Der- you know Derrick Henry, who is going to be the alpha dog on this team coming up in 2016? And to me, it was symbolic at the White House when you had Barack Obama, Nick Saban, and Reuben Foster in the middle. I think this is going to be a Reuben's football team. What is your take on that, or what are you hearing? I certainly think so. I mean, he's he's been you know one of the most popular players in the program ever since he walked on campus. Um, just a, you know, a guy that just has a lot of natural charisma, and, and you know, people are drawn to him. And uh, you know, about this time last year, I think he really started, um, you know, practicing what he preached and kind of you know walking the walk. Um, he, he was named the president of his fraternity last summer, and I think really took that next step in his maturation process. You know, the physical aspect of. You know, being a student athlete has never been a problem for him. You know, he battled some injuries early on. But, but I totally agree with you. I think that, that, at least on the defensive side of the ball, I think that's going to be, you know, who the boss of it is. Um, it, it just, you know, it makes total sense. I mean, the, the coaching staff is very pleased with where he is as a player and a young man. And I think he's got an opportunity to do some great things, carry that, you know, that torch, you know, with, with linebacker to you for the 2016 season. I mean, I, I felt like, you know, honestly, he deserved some, you know, maybe second or third team mm-hmm. all SEC recognition with the way he played, you know, the month of November and, and on into the playoffs. And then a guy behind him, I think everybody's anxious to see. Uh, he redshirted. Uh, he's, uh, I know you know uh, his, uh, his uh, head coach, uh, well as also, but Adonis Thomas from Lawrenceville, Georgia, Central Gwinnett High School. Uh, he's someone that they flipped from the Florida Gators. I know he had to get bigger and kind of uh, pay his dues redshirting last year, but I know uh, the coaching staff is high on him. Yeah, and, and, you know, I think a lot of times, you know, that, that kind of gets overblown a little bit when, when, you know, people felt like that maybe he was redshirted because he wasn't physically ready to play. You know, he came in about the same size, and I think with a similar skill set as a guy like C.J. Mosley. Um, you know, he's a little bit taller and a little bit more rangier of a linebacker versus, you know, say, Reuben and Reg Ragland. Uh, but, you know, did very well um, in fall camp last year, got a lot of second-team reps um, along with Keaton Anderson at the inside linebacker positions. Um, you know, I think he's a guy that you certainly have to watch for um, you know, in competition at that other inside linebacker spot. You know, that could be a, a spot, you know, based on the scheme that they're playing week to week. Maybe you see linebacker by committee. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got, you know, Sean Dion Hamilton, Adonis Thomas, um, you know, even Keith Holcomb that can all factor in at that spot alongside Red, I mean, uh, Ruben Foster. And something that you've reported first uh, that you felt like would happen, and it looks like he's being cross-trained at, at, like Dylan Lee, 
uh, in the first practice, we saw Rashawn Evans, who also clocked at 4-6, the fastest time among the linebackers, but he worked both inside and out. Yeah, I think he's a guy that, uh, you know, when you have a new defensive coordinator come in and Jeremy Pruitt has kind of got some different concepts and schemes, you know, on how to use different players with their skill sets. You know, he's a guy that, you know, certainly you don't necessarily want him at the inside spot you know, against a heavy-handed run team like an LSU or an Arkansas, but against spread teams like you saw, you know, Clemson, um, you know, in the in the national championship game, he's certainly a guy that you can line up inside on first and ten, and you know, you see him put his hand on the ground in passing situations, and he's a very effective, you know, almost a lethal pass rusher at this point. Yeah, he really is, and it's going to be fascinating. You know, Reuben Foster clocked a four six four, and Christian Miller t- clocked a four six two. Is he someone that we that we're going to see kind of break out this year, William? Yeah, and I really kind of thought he might even take that next step last fall, Drew. You know, when I when I go to practices and scrimmages, I mean, he's got a you know a, a, a unique ability, almost like you saw last year from Dalvin Tomlinson, who led the defensive line and, and passes batted down. Um, you know, Christian Miller's arms are so long, and he's a you know a really tall kid uh, to begin with. I mean, he's a legit six four. But I mean, every practice or scrimmage I went to, you know, he batted two or three balls down every time I saw him live. And I think he's a guy. Um, you know, he's still kind of in that mode of maybe having to wait his turn with you know Ryan Anderson and you know Tim Williams being the first two guys up out there. Um, you know, as edge rushers, but you know he's another tool. Um, but Nick Saban and Kirby Smart having that toolbox for, for you know third down situations. He's a very very effective pass rusher. They snuck him in at the end of the game last year against Mississippi State. His first first snap, he got a sack of Dak Prescott, not Dak Prescott, but whoever that backup was at the end of the game for Mississippi State last year. So I mean, he's SEC ready. He's just kind of you know waiting his chance and his turn to get on the field. He really is, and and then and, and talk about. Uh, and for any Jennings, what do you? It looks like he's going to stay at defensive end. Uh, I, I think he's are going to end up with his hand in the dirt. Or are you? What are you expecting out of him as a redshirt freshman? Well, he's a guy that you know did really need you know to put on some weight. He came in kind of as a cleaner, um, you know, kind of you know lost in the woods so to speak between Jack linebacker and defensive end. He's up to close to two hundred and sixty pounds now. And that's really what earned him his, you know, his scholarship offer at Alabama's camp several years ago is what he did at that camp as a pass rusher. So I do expect him to find a home, um, you know, either at the Jack linebacker spot or maybe if he gets a little bit bigger, you know, defensive end. You've got, you know, a guy like him, uh, Joshua McMillan, Christian Bell, that are that are all guys that are kind of, you know, they're taking their time with them as far as their development's concerned and, and you know, waiting for that that body mass to catch up with their athleticism and their frames. Yeah, they really are. It's going to be interesting to see how they all develop. And I had a chance to speak with Cyrus Jones uh, this past weekend. He came to Huntsville. Uh, we're going to replay that conversation here uh, later on this hour, William. But uh, I didn't even have to prompt him. I know it's someone you've been talking about as well. Speaking of the secondary, he uh, he, he, ta- he 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 had some uh, nice things to say about uh, a, a certain redshirt freshman from Texas. Yeah, there's there's been a lot of hype uh, for, you know, almost a year now regarding Kendall Sheffield. Um, you know, and I think he kind of showed up on campus last summer 
you know, kind of in the same situation that Marlon Humphrey was when he came as a true freshman. Um, you know, certainly had the speed, certainly had the athleticism to get on the field as a true freshman, but really needed a year um, to, to get his body weighed up. And, you know, he's done that. And, you know, it's just another, you know, when you start looking at this 2016, you know, Alabama football team, I think there's two position groups that jumps off the page of me where they kind of have the most talent and, and the most depth stockpiled. And the defensive back position and the offensive line are the two that jump off the page. And, you know, he's back there with, you know, just a bunch of talented guys. I mean, it's it's interesting to me when you look at that other safety spot back there mm-hmm. um, that, you know, that was vacated by Geno Smith. You know, you've got two guys, in, in Ronnie Harrison and Tony Brown, competing for that same spot to play, you know, alongside Eddie Jackson next year. And, and that's just, you know, it's just kind of scary uh, when you look at it from an opposing team uh, perspective. But I'm sure Nick Saban and Jeremy Pruitt are kind of giggling when they see that kind of talent, you know, trying to, you know, earn playing time at the same spot. Yeah, and then, of course, uh, finally, talking a little bit of recruiting. It's a little bit early, but I, I know that Alabama had some interest in Davis Mills, the quarterback from Georgia. He visited this past weekend. Uh, and then today he committed to Stanford. He'd also been uh, had visited out there. They were thought to be the favorite, especially if Alabama uh, did not offer him, which they did not. I know you were a little bit surprised that they didn't go ahead and pull the trigger, but we know how they how methodical they've been at times with quarterbacks. And of course, Jake Fromm flipped from Alabama to Georgia. Uh, growing up a UGA fan, now they've offered Bailey Hockman. Uh, I, and I, and I, I heard someone say today that they thought Hockman was the was the number one be-all right now. I kind of disagree with that. We all know how Alabama is with QBs. They they continue to uh, – they take that process slowly most of the time, even though they took Jake Fromm early because he was elite. But just kind of talk about that situation right now a little bit. Yeah, and I, you know, I think a lot more fans are, are hitting the panic button, you know, with the quarterback recruiting for this class. Like you said, it's still early. We're just in the first couple of weeks of March, you know, almost a full year until National Signing Day. Um, but, but you know, that the quarterback recruiting this year kind of has been a, um, you know, a little bit confusing. I think with you know the, the Jake Fromm flip to Georgia, that certainly. Um, you know, open things back up. I, I was a little bit surprised that Alabama didn't make more of a push with Davis Mills. There's, there's some people that consider him a better prospect than Jake Fromm. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and certainly, you know, when you see somebody you know, have an opportunity to go out and play at a, an elite, you know, football and academic institution like Stanford, you can't get upset about that. Um, you know, great for, for Davis Mills for having that, creating that opportunity for himself. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, how this work goes forward with Bailey Hockman. I think he's supposed to come in and visit um, sometime in the next week or two. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe they'll go forward and, and push for a commitment from him. Uh, but, but I really don't think that this is a huge need for this football team. You know, they've got, you know, two really good young quarterbacks, Blake Barnett and Jalen Hurts, um, you know, along with two guys you know, now that are, that are a little bit older and David Cornwell and Cooper Bateman. And, you know, you've got an elite guy that might end up being one of the top two or three quarterbacks in next year's class, 2018, down there in Mobile, Alabama, and Jack West, who's a lifelong Alabama fan. You know, there were some concerns with some early interest from Stanford with him that maybe he might, you know, pursue that. But I think now that, 
uh, Davis Mills is going to go in this class, that, that might put a little bit of a slowdown on, on Jack West's interest in going out of the state. So I, I think you know that's probably, um, as far as quarterback recruiting goes for the next two classes, I think it's basically down to uh, you know Bailey Hockman and Jack West for the next two years. And very interesting. Well, William, we always appreciate the knowledge, my friend. Thank you for your time. And, of course, once it gets cranked back up Monday, uh, I know uh, we will be speaking with you frequently. That was William Redfish Barger, a great friend of the show, and I'm glad to hear he wants to be more involved. Drew, that I was reading Twitter just now, and it reminded me of a night back in the 90s, a Friday night, a playoff game in Tuscaloosa. And on the sidelines, standing together, watching the game between Daphne and Hillcrest were William Redfish Barger, Rodney Orr, myself, and a few others. And the guy we went to see that night, Kenny King, uh, playing for Daphne, has now been named the head coach of Daphne. And I, I know William remembered that night, and that was so cool. And sure you want to throw congratulations out to former Alabama and Daphne player and NFL player, Kenny King. Yeah, he's moved in the state of Arizona. He's been coaching since retiring uh, from the NFL, and uh, he uh, he's done a nice job uh, at his previous place as an assistant. And he will now be head football coach and athletic director at Daphne High School, following the footsteps of his high school coach, uh, Glenn Vickery. And uh, he's a proud Trojan, and uh, of course, a Tiger as well. And we look uh, forward to him hopefully continuing to have that program be a perennial playoff contender in the state championship. Uh, program as it was under Glenn Vickery, who's a great man and uh, who who has uh, recently retired. I don't think Glenn Vickery's through coaching, but obviously he he had a great run at Daphne and as a class act. And uh, I would not be surprised to see him resurface in the Mobile area as somewhere, whether it be as a head coach or defensive coordinator. But Kenny King, great hire for Daphne, and hopefully he with his youth and enthusiasm. I know Spanish Force Machine right now, but. Hopefully he can get that going uh, back uh, in the right direction. It's been still very competitive, but I think they had not, uh, you know, since their state championship of a few seasons ago, Spanish Fort has been on such a roll, and I think uh, the administration felt they needed to make a change. I'm not so necessarily sure that was necessary, or I should say, or it should have happened. I'm not, ne- I'm not totally in favor of Coach Vickery had earned the right to choose kind of when he wanted to retire, but. Uh, I think uh, with that situation, but obviously I think he had a disagreement with the administration. Uh, but I'll give the administration credit bringing in someone with the youth and enthusiasm pedigree of Kenny King. I think it was a smart move, and I think he can be a really good fit there. And hopefully, again, uh, continue to build upon what Coach Vickery established there. Also, uh, he'll be on my uh, on talking ball tomorrow. But Kelvis White is now moving to the Huntsville area. He will be the first football coach, uh, and then in tandem with Jack Doss. At, uh, at May uh, Jemison High School, uh, the uh, named after the first African American astronaut, uh, he will uh, he he is coming over from Dothan High School, and as we know, Kelvis is from the area in North Alabama, went to Cortland with his brother Laron, and ironically, Kerry, uh, the first game he will coach in is the official head football coach of uh, the uh, Jemison Jaguars. They're going to continue to be the Jaguars, same color scheme as Johnson High School, but he will face off against Laron White and Tanner. On August the 26th, should be great theater, and uh, I, I, there's a pretty chance I'll be in attendance that night. I think you should. That'll be a great one for us to be able to talk about here on uh, on Bams Radio. But I understand now we're about to hear from uh, some very recently graduated seniors from the University of Alabama football program. 
we are, Kerry, and, and they're going to give also some insight into some young players to watch and their thoughts kind of on their position groups. Uh, it's going to be some very interesting comments. And uh, the, the two I had a chance to speak with were in Huntsville, Alabama, this past Saturday uh, during an autograph show, and I got a chance to speak with them uh, before one before the event and one after, uh, and both were uh, very uh, uh, complimentary of, uh, the, of course, the program that they were uh, an integral part of, and both uh, were very uh, generous with their time, and I appreciated the insight. And the, the first one we're going to hear from is, I still think, one of the more underrated guys. He's one of my favorites. I think, uh, and I, I think Nick Saban also uh, really, really uh, admired this young man and thought uh, for, for the last two years that he was the best cornerback on, our, on Alabama's football team. And I think he really played hard and, and uh, improved quite a bit in the three years that he played in the defensive backfield for Alabama. And I think he's set himself up with the way he ended his career and the way he developed as a senior uh, to be a third or fourth round draft pick and have a nice NFL career. And that, of course, is who I'm speaking of is Baltimore, Maryland, the Gilman School alum, Cyrus Jones. Here with Cyrus Jones, 2015 national champion here in Huntsville, Alabama, of course, at an autograph signing first, Cyrus. How did it feel to be back among the fans about two months after winning your second ring? Well, no, it's great. You know, it's, the excitement's still there. I feel like we just won it. And, uh, <laughs> You know, it's always good to, you know, just get to know new fans and get to meet them and just feel the support and uh, definitely gonna miss them. Yeah, and, and talk about how how have you had a chance to reflect how quickly your four years went by? Uh, man, it went by so fast, man. I can't believe you know. I feel like just yesterday, you know, I was a freshman, you know, stepping on campus, and now I'm uh, in the NFL draft. So I mean, it's, it's definitely been a fun four years, uh, a long ride, but uh, you know, it's definitely um been a time been a time I'm grateful for when you came out of Baltimore Maryland to Gilman school I know you're one of the best athletes in the country and you got on the field quickly as a wide receiver as a freshman did you ever envision that you would end up being the, the top shutdown corner on a national championship team or did you think you'd end up on offense uh I honestly I don't know what I was thinking I was just trying to make an impact any way I could you know I mean when coach Saban approached me but possibly, you know, my thoughts on moving to defense, I mean, I, it was just another opportunity for me. You know, I played corner in high school, so it wasn't really uh, that much of a change. So I was just trying to, you know, just make a big impact in any way I could, and uh, that was the quickest way. And I want uh, Reggie Ragwin, uh, he uh, he was he, during the season in the after uh, the, in the media room. He he gave us a little tidbit. You he had a discussion when you became the full time punt returner uh, this year, and of course you did some of it as a junior. He said y'all had a bet that you would take eight back, and uh, and the, but you almost and y'all actually almost got there four. I mean you had a couple yeah. of near misses. Yeah, man, it was a few of those. I wish. <laughs> I, if I had one or two more blocks, you know, I, I think I would have scored. But, uh, you know, I just definitely enjoyed being back there this year. And just, uh, I just was trying to make a play every time I got a ball in my hands. And uh, the bet, it was just something fun. And, um, but it, it definitely was in the back of my mind throughout the season, you know, just trying to trying to get that mark. And how, how about uh, the, the first the senior bowl and then the combine and then pro day? How did you think you performed? I think I did real well, you know. I think I just went out there and, just did what I do all the time, you know, just went out there and played football and uh, locked down and uh, just showcased my talent. And uh, it wasn't anything, you know, different. Um, just pretty much just trying to stay consistent 
do all three of those things, and um, I think it put me in a good spot for this upcoming draft. And what kind of feedback have you gotten from the NFL teams? Yeah, a lot of feedback. You know, a lot of teams really like me, like what I can do uh, defensively and on special teams. So a lot of teams showing a uh, big interest. So, I mean, I, I'm in a good spot. And you played outside pretty much your whole career, schematically in press coverage. What is, what, what is, have, they, have they talked to you about nickel at all and playing inside? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, of course, teams want to know if I can, would I be comfortable with sliding inside and covering those slot guys. And uh, It's something I've done a lot in practice, but, you know, Coach Saban always want to be on the outside. So, I mean, I'm a natural athlete, and I think I'll, you know, adapt to wherever a team places me at. So um, that's something that I think I can do. And I've always enjoyed because I thought you were one of my favorites because I, th I think you played with a chip on your shoulder throughout your career. Are you still kind of fueled by that? Always. That's never going to go away, you know. Um, it's just something that I've had since I've been little and uh, just my type of approach to the game, you know, especially when, you know, I hear, you know, people talking about my height and certain things like that. Uh, definitely just it makes it, it adds more fuel to the fire and uh, just makes me go harder. So, it's something that I, that I think that's my edge. You know, that's that's what I always carry with me. One of my one of the, what I thought was a kind of a microcosm of your career, you gave up the completion against Michigan State, and then Connor Cook tried to bait you, and you you yeah. set him up. Yeah. Almost took that one back, and then you take back the punt return. I thought I thought that was basically your career, <laughs> in, in one game in a nutshell. Yeah, I mean, you know. Um, you got to have a quick memory playing corner, you know. Everybody's going to say something because it's going to look one way to the fans, but it's not really that, you know. They don't know what coverage we're playing in. They don't know what responsibilities I have or, or who's supposed to have me over the top and stuff like that. So a lot of that stuff, you know, um, it's, it's, it's stuff that fans will never know. So, I mean, it gets frustrating when, you know, you hear certain stuff negatively. But, I mean, you can't – you got to let it brush off your shoulders and uh, just have a quick memory, go back and um, – just try to make up for it, you know, whatever way you can. And, uh, you know, I'm just every time I step on the field, you know, I, I have supreme confidence in myself and what I can do. And I'm just trying to go out there and make a play for my team. And finally, the young guys behind you. I mean, we've heard a lot of good things. We saw Minka and what he yeah. did as a freshman. Kind of talk about his future and where you think he could go. Uh, you know, Minka's a great, great player. You know, a great person, and um, has. Uh, one of the best work ethics I've seen, you know, especially from a young guy. So, I mean, the sky's the limit for him. And um, just him getting on the field this year, uh, just going to put him in an even better spot um, for, the, for this upcoming year, you know, just with the experience and uh, just being comfortable out there. And uh, we got a couple young guys that, that's looking to, you know, step in there. You know, uh, Kendall Sheffield, a red shirt freshman from last year, you know, great talent, uh, athletic ability, you know. Um, hopefully he'll he'll get a chance to you know show what he can do this year and uh, spring ball is going to be big for those guys and especially the guys that haven't been on the field yet so hopefully they they come ready to work and uh, learn that defense. Absolutely. Well, thank you. I really appreciate it. Good luck to you. Thank you. Sorry, I didn't count y'all down on that one. That was that was Cyrus Jones, former uh, Bama quarterback. Drew, you want to go Coker next? Absolutely, Thomas. Thank you. Um, again, that was Cyrus Jones, as Thomas said, senior corner. Now we're going to go to uh, the team captain, and uh, he went 14-0 and as a starter. We've already talked about the toughness he showed uh, with the foot-slash-toe injury that he played with all season long, but got a chance to speak uh, for a few minutes uh, with outgoing senior quarterback and national champion Jake Coker. 
Uh, this is Drew Army, 97.7 The Zone Radio. Uh, I just wanted to ask you about your process. I know you kind of feel, I, you could tell at Pro Day you kind of had a chip on your shoulder after what happened with the combine. Just kind of talk about that, and uh, I know all the work you've put in. Kind of, and I wanted to ask you about David Morris. I've had him on my show a couple times. He's a great guy. What kind of impact has he had on your career? Uh, I mean, he's big, been big for me. You know, I've, I've worked out with him since high school, and uh, you know, he's always he's a real good friend of mine. And, and on top of that, he's a great coach. Uh, you know, he got me a lot better since the end of this uh, past season. So, you know, I can't say enough about what he's done for me. And what what have y'all worked on since the season? What's been the emphasis? Really, just you know, being quicker, my foot speed, and, and uh, getting the ball out faster, anticipation stuff like that. And then, when, how long? Did you, I know you didn't run the 40 at, at pro day. Uh, I heard you had a screw in your foot. When did you have that injury? When did that happen? Uh, it happened during during camp, prior to the season. I just got the screws out yesterday. So, at, so so you played with that the whole year. Yep. Wow. I mean, so what? Did you have to wear a boot throughout the season, or how did you kind of deal with it? Uh, I wore a boot to begin with, and we just started taping them up, taping it up. I, I got it shot up for a scrimmage before uh, before the season, and I didn't like how numb it was, so. I just taped it up real good and, and went out there and played. And then uh, talk about your year. Obviously, uh, I know, uh, and, and really the two years you were there, it, I know you waited, you kind of bided your time at Florida State. Jameis Winston won that job, and you came to Alabama. And just kind of talk about the two years and, and, and how it went for you. Yeah, I mean, it was rough. You know, I put everything into those two years, and, or I mean, my whole college career. But, uh, you know, I, I really thought I was, I'd play, and, and uh, you know, it didn't work out. But that's part of it. I think it was good for me, and, uh, you know, I wouldn't trade trade the journey I've had for anything. Yeah, it was almost a kind of a storybook. Uh, when you, uh, I know you weren't happy when you didn't start against Ole Miss. You came off the bench, you played well, and you won the team basically after that. And uh, it, could it have gone any better for you from that point forward? No, I, uh, you know, like I said, I wouldn't trade for anything. It was the uh, best best season, most fun I've ever had playing football, and and uh, couldn't ask for more. And I want to ask now about the people who now that you're an alum officially, uh, the guys behind you. Uh, now they've waited their turn. They've bided their time. Talk about the guys behind you and uh, what, what, and maybe Cooper Bateman, who's been there kind of like he's been waiting for his chance, and Blake Barnett. Just kind of talk about some of the young guys. I mean, I think we're going to be in good hands no matter what happens. Those, uh, all those guys are capable of doing well and, and uh, you know, winning national championships. And, and so, uh, you know, we got nothing to worry about at Alabama. All those guys are more than capable of getting the job done. So, uh, you know, they're a bunch of great guys, great quarterbacks, and we got a lot to look forward to. And, of course, what kind of feedback have you been getting from the NFL thus far? Uh, you know, it's, it's been pretty good. I've, I've interviewed with all of them, and, and uh, or, you know, most of them feels like, you know, Senior Bowl and then the Pro Day and all the guys I talked to. It's been, uh, you know, real positive uh, feedback. So, you know, you never really know until till the time comes. And, uh, you know, I'm just waiting on, on draft day to see what happens. Well, good luck to you. I appreciate it. And that was Jake Coker, the senior QB for the Crimson Tide. And now we're going to quickly go to our final interview of the night. I think it's one everyone should be looking forward to uh, as far as our listeners because it's part of the future. And it's, it's someone that will be here in May, around May the 7th, when he graduates from Bowling Green. But he will be an integral part of the football team this year. And I had a chance to sit down a couple of weeks ago uh, on my radio program uh, with the incoming transfer wide receiver from Bowling Green via South Bend, Indiana, and he'll give you a little bit of insight into his process and how he ended up a member of the Crimson Tide. But he will be number two on the roster this year, taking Derrick Henry's number in Jersey, and that's Garrick Dieter. Garrick, how are you this morning, sir? I'm doing pretty good. How about you? 
doing well, sir. And I, I want to thank you for joining us this morning. And first of all, I mean, for my listeners here, uh, you're a, you're a kid from South Bend, Indiana. Uh, you were a record-setting high school receiver. And just kind of uh, tell our listeners, give, give them some background on yourself uh, about and, and how you reached this point in your career. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, coming out of high school, I wasn't um, as recruited as I thought I was going to be. Um, came out, uh, SMU was basically my best offer. Uh, and then when Coach Weiss took over Kansas, that was my first BCS offer. But other than that, I just had um, – Mac offers and then SMU, so I wanted to go to SMU because I had a great relationship with the uh, the receiver coach, and I enrolled early. And uh, once I got there, he actually left like the first month that I got there, and then uh, I played played my freshman year. And I don't know, I just felt like I wasn't wasn't having fun playing, and kind of wanted to get closer to home and be around my family a little more. So Bowling Green was actually my first scholarship coming out of high school. Like they think they offered me like going into my sophomore year of high school at a camp, and uh, so I had a great relationship with those coaches. And as soon as uh, I decided I wanted to transfer, I talked to them, and um, they were all about it. And I came here, had to sit out, but I registered it. And uh, both my brothers came to BG and played the past two seasons here, and I mean had had a lot of fun doing it. But I feel like it's just best for me to move on right now. Yeah, and, and and the thing is, what's surprising, you would think uh, with what you did in high school, especially as a senior. Uh, I talked to your mm-hmm. father, Derek, and he kind of he he had coached you coming up in uh, youth football, and he told me, um, you know, kind of so some of your backstory. I mean, having as a senior, having two three hundred yard games, and then of course it's now been broken, and records are made to be broken, but still at one time. To you know, uh, to 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 have the national high school record, 447 receiving yards in a game, you would think mm-hmm. that you would have been more heavily recruited. Do, do you do, have you ever been able to put your finger on what happened? And you were academically qualified to enroll early. Yeah. Uh, to be honest, I have no idea. Um, I went to camps and I feel like I performed well. And um, like I have, like Wisconsin, I went to their mm-hmm. camp going into my senior year and. Um, like killed the camp and uh, they told me that they're going to offer me and like I had it like that's what that was my dream school growing up was Wisconsin my mom's from Madison oh wow and uh, yeah so um, going went to their camp did really well and then their coaches told me that they're going to offer me and then I was going to go up and visit when they're going to offer me and then commit on the spot and then for some reason they told me that they're going to hold off I waited, and basically they never got back to me. But I have no, to be honest, I really have no idea what happened coming out of high school. I felt like I worked hard, and just, I mean, things didn't work out the way I wanted to. But um, I mean, I'm completely happy with where I've been at and what I've done, and the situation I'm in now is just uh, it's really a really great thing to be in. Yeah, it really is, and. And of course, you continued to grind and uh, and work hard, and and uh, became one of the best receivers in the MAC. And the MAC is an underrated league. It may not be a Power Five league, but there's been a lot of talented football players uh, come out of there. And I know uh, 
when you when you, you went into the reasoning uh, behind your decision, you had a previous relationship uh, with those coaches. I guess the biggest surprise is being from South Bend and your father, of course, being a fixture as a policeman on the, uh, part of the campus police for so many years, and now having his own uh, security company where he told me he can he can see Notre Dame Stadium out of his window. Just surprising that they didn't recruit you. Yeah. Uh... I don't know. I had I had a little bit of interest going to Notre Dame. I really I kind of wanted to get away from South Bend. Really, but mm-hmm. uh, I had a little bit of interest. I mean, I went to a couple of their camps, but uh, I don't know. I don't think they. I think I was, when Coach Weiss was there, that was probably the most interest I got from them. But mm-hmm. other than that, it wasn't wasn't that much. Yeah, and then and, and but of course you went to Bowling Green. Uh, your first year there, uh, you put up really solid numbers. Uh, you had over 400 yards receiving uh, in, on 35 catches, then really exploded last year. What was the key for you uh, to taking your game to the next level a season ago, this past season, catching 94 passes? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, a lot of people don't know. I missed, I actually missed six games that, ah, that sophomore year. There you go. I, yeah, I injured my my knee and ankle like the third game of the year and then missed Basically, I'm pretty sure it was six games through the half, like the middle half of the season, and then came back. But uh, going into last year, Coach Baber's offense is usually like in tip-top shape going into the second year of the offense, just because everybody knows what they're doing, and you can play as fast as you want. And that's like the biggest component to his offense is playing fast and getting a certain number of plays each game. And um, I just feel like we had all the talent in the world coming back um, this past year. And, I feel like we put the numbers up that Coach Babers likes. And, um, I mean, almost everybody on our offense put up career numbers. So it was a lot of fun this past year. Yeah, it ended, of course, in the GoDaddy.com Bowl uh, in Mobile, Alabama, uh, against Georgia Southern. In your, as far as your decision-making process, when did you start thinking about uh, is the uh, transfer somewhere else as a, fit, as a fifth-year senior? Because with the numbers you put up, and really from what I've seen out of the combine thus far at the NFL Combine, the receiver class this year was a little weak coming out. Was there any thoughts mm-hmm. in going to the NFL? Yeah, there was a little bit. Um, I still feel like there's some things I want to work on. So I think having an extra year would just benefit me. Um, both on and off the field, I can. I'm gonna try to graduate from grad school from Alabama, and then I'm gonna graduate in May here. So I think that'll help me a lot. But uh, looking at that draft class, I feel like I definitely could have competed very well at the combine um, if I was invited. But um, I'm happy to make the decision I made and have a chance to compete for a national championship. Yeah, and and and, and I know that. Uh, You've, I'm sure you've, uh, as a as a college football aficionado, you followed Alabama from afar. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, tell our listeners really quickly uh, how how their interest came about, or how how it mutually uh, came into contact with Alabama. Right. Um, so I basically decided that I was gonna. I wasn't positive on it, but I wanted to talk to a couple of schools. Like, right. Like towards the end of the year, it kind of started going in my head because of it all the guys that were leaving, and I had a feeling that Coach Babers was going to leave. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was weighing my options, and that was one of them. So once I got my uh, permission to contact form, I contacted Coach Napier um, and talked to him, and they t- or he told me that he wanted me there. And a couple of weeks after, I talked to Coach Saban and Coach Kiffin and um, really just had a 
a really good relationship with Coach Napier and what he was telling me and what Coach Saban was telling me. And uh, I just made this decision to, to go to Alabama. And once I took that visit, it was all uh, really put the put the pieces together and really felt confident about everything. Well, I was going to ask you about that too because when I talked to your father uh, a few weeks ago, we, we talked for about 30 minutes one night. and uh, It was right before you visited and they were he was really looking forward to the visit and of course mm-hmm. uh for the lifters that may not know uh your father of course is an avid power lifter he got you into weightlifting when you were very young but i mm-hmm. i, I got to ask you that one of the first people you're going to meet what was your impression of Scott Cochran and your father i figured, i told your father that he would end up loving them and it would be yeah. one of these things would be an unforgettable uh probably a weekend how did that right. go yeah, that was uh, that was awesome. Coach Cochran and Coach Coach Love in there, they both had so much energy, and it was something that I mean I really never experienced before in a weight room. Um, <laughs> just their their energy that they brought and how they do things in the weight room was pretty special. So uh, meeting with him and talking with him, and it was just uh, it was an awesome experience, and I'm looking forward to working with him. Yeah, he's he's unique. I can tell you that. Uh, there's, and I know your father. I'm sure had a great time. But what was your impressions of? I know you had expectations going in. You've heard things about the mm-hmm. Alabama program, the organization itself, and the, and of course the facilities. Uh, first of all, I guess what was your impression? Uh, you had spoken with the coaching staff. What was your impression once you got a chance to kind of meet them face to face? Uh, it felt. I don't know. It kind of felt like I knew them for a couple of years. It just felt. It felt natural, like it didn't feel like I was forcing a relationship with them. It felt like I, as soon as I met them, I had a relationship with almost everyone on their staff. And um, to get down there and meet everybody and meet all the players, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. And I'm definitely looking forward to putting in the work over the summer and going into the season. Yeah, and then, of course, uh, you got a chance to see the facilities uh, mm-hmm. I told your your dad. I said, "Well, I know you've, you've, you're very familiar with Notre Dame, but I said Alabama's probably going to blow your mind from a facility oh, standpoint yeah. and what they what they have to offer." What was your impressions of that? I mean, all their stuff is top of the line. Uh, coming from from any math school, going to an SEC school is obviously going to be completely different from facility standpoint and the support standpoint, but. Um, just going there and seeing everything in person. Like I've seen pictures of, every, <clears throat> of everything on the internet, but going there and seeing everything in person and walking into Bryant Denning Stadium at night was just—I uh, really couldn't put into words how how excited I was to see all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I saw the uh, the picture on your Twitter account with you and your your girlfriend at Bryant Denning Stadium. That had to be a a thrill. I know you've seen probably seen games just watching it as a fan. Uh, mm-hmm. Watching uh, Alabama play on television, but to kind of stand on uh, on the 50 at Bryant Denny Stadium, that had to be surreal. Oh yeah, it was definitely surreal. Uh, seeing them in all the big games that they play, primetime games that um, I mean everybody watches, it's just uh, pretty crazy to be on that field, and uh, I'm really excited for the opportunity to be able to play on that field. And I got a question for you as far as when, because uh, we, we saw how the, the success Richard Mullaney had from Oregon State. He became uh, an integral cog in Alabama's receiving core this year and is now after is looking to move on to the next level. Did his success, uh, did that play any part in you contacting Alabama? Yeah, definitely. That was, uh, he was one of the first people I actually talked to after I talked to Coach Napier. Um, I talked to him. I mean, a couple times a week until the visit, and uh, just got to know him. 
got to ask him a little bit about Alabama, like his impressions on everything, and um, he had nothing but positive, but positive things to say about it. And uh, seeing the success that he had, even though he was kind of a he really didn't play that much there in the beginning of the season and came on strong towards them and had a more vital role because of the injuries. But um, seeing his success, and I feel like his mind and his game are pretty similar. Um, so I'm looking forward to getting down there and really kind of following it in his footsteps. Yeah, and then, and then for the listeners right now, what is your height and weight? I'm 6'3", 208. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, I know you met with Coach Kiffin, and uh, you, you, you've got an idea of how you fit. Uh, offensively, it's going to be a little bit of a different uh, scheme, but how, how do you see yourself fitting in at Alabama? Uh, to be honest, I'm just going to get down there and compete every single day and um, whatever position that they want me at, that's what I'm going to play in. Um, Whatever I mean, I can basically play any position on the or at the receiving spot. So um, whatever they want me, at, I'm gonna come in and just compete hard every single day and um, just work for work for a spot because I know they have a, a bunch of talent at the receiving spot. I mean, it's probably the most talented receivers in the SEC. So going in there, competing with them every single day is just gonna bring the best out of me and hopefully bring the best out of them too. And then, yes, you have Calvin Ridley, who I thought was the best freshman wide receiver in college football, returning. Uh, then you have Ardarius Stewart, who really came on. And then, of course, Robert Foster, who uh, one of the big reasons Richard Mullaney's, uh had to step up. He got injured in the Ole Miss game, which was kind of his uh, Richard's coming out party. Uh, I, I, obviously, you caught 94 balls last year. You might, you probably, the chances are you're not going to catch that many at Alabama. But so, uh, what, what, what is so? What is your mindset going to be as far as going in? If you, seeing as you might not touch the ball as much. Yeah, uh, I mean, I kind of knew that coming in because of the way our offense was. We, I mean, we ran over 90 plays a game, and I know mm-hmm. Alabama just definitely doesn't run that many plays. So I know that there's not as many touches, but. Uh, just having the chance to compete for a national championship and um, compete in front of the entire country every single week is just going to be uh, an experience that I definitely want, and I'm excited to get down there and get everything going. And then, of course, the quarterbacks. Alabama will be breaking in their third in three seasons. We've seen what Blake Sims and Jake Coker have done. Uh, what, what, what was your take on the Alabama quarterback situation, and what did you when you? when I'm sure you got a chance to meet some of those guys on the visit. What was your impression? Uh, they, I mean, they definitely have the talent. They just got to – the big thing is with, at the quarterback spot, I mean, at any college is basically the experience that they have. And, um, unfortunately, they don't have the experience, but I know that they have the talent to compete with any quarterback in the country. The guys that I met, um, just seeing them and seeing them throw a little bit, um, I'm, I couldn't be more excited to get down there and work with them. But um, I know that they have the, the talent, and uh, they're going to – compete in the spring and we'll see who comes out that was gary dater great interview by drew DeArmond. Uh, we are up against uh, the end of the show in less than a minute now i did want to let everybody know that's listening live that they're in the bottom of the fifth out in california and the alabama crimson tide softball team leads one to nothing over cal state fullerton lexi osorio back on her game uh we're getting ready to close things out here some great interviews there uh with drew DeArmond, and uh, we'll continue to bring you those every week here on bams radio but for now, we're going to go ahead and call it a week. Uh, for Drew Armand of ESPN 97.7 The Zone in Huntsville, 
for Thomas Watts of Touchdown Alabama Magazine at the controls of Mobile. I'm your co-host, Kerry Clark, from BamaMag.com and Scout.com. Thank you for listening to FAMS Radio. Uh, good night, everybody, and roll tide. Roll tide, everybody. Let's be doing the show.